Anyone's Game podcast. Following women's football. Hello and welcome to the Anyone's Game podcast and I'm here with Campbell Finlayson to review the round of 16 knockout matches in the first knockout stage of the FIFA 2019 Women's World Cup from France. Actually be able to start with something different this week because it's no longer France that kicked off the match day. This time round it was Germany against Nigeria. This is a game that was tipped to be quite a, a big game for Germany to be tested coming out the group stages. What did you make of this one? I think Germany were very composed in uh, their performance against Nigeria. I mean, Nigeria obviously through Group A, they had me finishing behind France and Norway. Uh, they were obviously make it tough for Germany right enough, but I think Germany getting the early goal, early-ish goal that they did made a difference. And then obviously, apparently from Sierra Brits making it too as well. Kind of, it gave them that foothold in the game and Nigeria ended up having to chase it, couldn't get back and then make mistakes like they did for the third goal to just pretty much wrap up the game for Germany. It was very comfortable for them and I think they are gradually getting more impressive as the tournament goes on. One thing that I was really surprised about Campbell was the, the first goal because at the time I had no idea it was going to go to Varchek. I saw absolutely nothing wrong with it and it wasn't until the replays came up where you actually saw the, the sort of marginal call between the attacker and the, the defender. Probably a situation where we've spoke about VAR a lot so far this tournament but it came into play and gets the, gets the right decision. Yeah, I mean as I say, I've said in previous podcasts, I'm a fan of us. I mean, as you say, it didn't look like it was required at the time originally, but when you see it back, you can see why they've used it. But again, it's, it's got the right decision, so I don't think they can complain really too much with it. What's your opinion on the player standing in front of the goalkeeper? Because a lot of people determine it as, a inter- as it being interfering with the goalkeeper, interfering with play because you could be blocking the goalkeeper's view or you could impact whether they're going to dive to make a save dependent on that player getting the touch. What do you make of the positioning? And do you agree that then because the attacker doesn't go for the ball, it wouldn't, wouldn't matter anyway? To me, I think you have to make a movement towards the ball. I mean, if someone is just simply standing there maybe blocking the view slightly. I mean, I don't, I don't know the official rule on it, but I think if you're blocking the view but the, and the shot gets past you but you don't actually move for it, then I don't see the problem. It's when if you maybe stick a leg out or you, you run as if you're going to go for the ball and then you leave it, that, that really does obviously put the defender or the goalkeeper off. But I think that's what the rule should be. But as I say, I don't know the official rule, especially with FIFA changing everything at the minute. And it only seems to be enforced, some of these rules, in the Women's World Cup and not in other tournaments taking place at the minute, which is also a bit confusing. Yeah, that, that's probably one aspect that we could say is a bit unfair for the fans in the stadium. I mean, you've already been at a game. You, you've you've firsthand got to experience what it's like when VAR's being used for the, the referee to, to have a look at things again, to make a decision. Actually, not about seven minutes later, after the first goal, Sarah De Britz gets an opportunity from the penalty spot and the fans actually started booing because there'd been a couple instances in a few minutes they had no idea really what was going on so even if it's getting the correct decision from the ref it's sort of devaluing the position of the fan in the stand Yeah, I can see your point I mean, we were obviously at the Scotland game last week and VAR came in to use unfortunately at the end I was not excited but I haven't seen it on TV I was kind of intrigued to see what it was actually like in the stadium and you just get the note saying that um, the referee's checking VAR which is fine but when you've got screens, I think you may as well just use them and show the decision so you have a clue of what the referee is actually saying. But it can be confusing when you're there because it could be long delays up to five, six, seven minutes even. That you, you don't really have a clue what's going on other than the fact they're making a decision. That decision could be on literally anything. So I think they should probably use these screens to show people. But whether they do in the future or not, it's a different matter. I think they may well do. The VAR, of course, is still relatively new. So there's going to be certain things that can be fixed. But I think FIFA, UEFA and even anyone else have a look into it. 
there's like another one of these things, sorry, that may actually come into use in the future. Yeah, I mean, we could speak about VAR for as long as we want, and we probably will touch on it when we're, we're reviewing the World Cup as a whole. But on this match, Germany-Nigeria, so in the second half, Nigeria made a, a little bit of a tweak to things, and they were actually really close to getting an equaliser five minutes later. It reminded me a bit of England-Scotland. You just needed Nigeria to get that goal to try and make a game of it, and if they could, anything could have happened. But eventually, Germany sealed the win with a, with a, with a third, and it's time for Nigeria to exit the tournament. Would you say that's a... Another test and another box ticked for Germany. Yeah, on some levels, yes, I think. But at the same time, Germany, like many other big nations, are yet to face a massive test as such. In the group, Spain obviously ran them pretty close. But otherwise, they were in China made it tough for them. But they were always strong enough to win that. And against South Africa, really dominated them. Nigeria caused a few problems, but not, not in, to really trouble Germany. And again, even looking at their route through, have Sweden obviously in the quarterfinals coming up. Another side that are not easy to play against, but they're not England or France or America teams like that. So it will be interesting to see if they can get as far in the tournament. They'll play one of these teams, but I think they'll have to be happy so far with how they've got through this stage without getting the goal. So finished Germany 3, Nigeria now. Later on on the Saturday night, we also had another round of 16 game, which was Norway against Australia. This one was certainly entertaining, Campbell. But one thing I couldn't help but notice at the beginning was there was a, a quite a low crowd in Nice for this one. Um, do you think that takes away from the game itself? Because it did look to be considering how both teams have performed in the World Cup so far. Australia a little bit on-off and Norway maybe a little bit higher than, than expectations, did it deserve a, a bigger crowd? Two sides that they're not the biggest again, but they're good enough to watch. I mean, you would like to think that the uh, the World Cup would attract the attention of locals, but Nice is one of the cities I've noticed watching games where it's had some of the lower crowds. I mean, you see Sweden, Thailand as well, and the group stage had less than 10,000 there. There's people of Nice, apart from obviously the England-Scotland game, a lot of folk turned up for that, but a lot of people just seem as if they're not interested in it. Getting through to a notice as well, the knockout rounds, the prices go up from the group stages as well, which maybe put some people off. But both I mean, both sides gave a good gave a good show on the night. Australia are obviously the I think sixth in the world maybe. They're up high. Norway as well, haven't got through their group. Played really well against France as well. They were unlucky not actually to beat them. So it's disappointing for the players. And then when you see how good the game was, not to get a big crowd, but I can't really say it's too much of a surprise. I mean, Australia have got to be looking at this tournament and if you're analysing the way they've performed, I've read that has been described as being below par. You've got Sam Kerr in there, but we spoke about last week how maybe some of the other players around about her weren't doing enough and it certainly looked that way against Norway because I think a lot of people would have expected them to be a bit more clinical. They had their chances and ultimately they'll regret it because they're on the plane home now. Yeah, I mean, again, you're spot on there. You see the goal they got, of course, coming straight from the corner. So kind of very lucky that they did get that goal. But the finishing's been poor for a lot of the tournament, really, to be honest. I mean, right from the start against Italy, they, they didn't start great. They were poor. They got the goal, obviously, from the rebound from the penalty and then just sort of fell apart there against us. I mean, they could easily have been out. If you obviously saw the Brazil game, were 2 nothing down. Again, missed a couple of chances early on in that game. Did well to come back, of course, but... They were they were disappointing Australia across the whole the tournament as a whole. I mean, they're one of these sides that, again, you thought on the day they could cause something problem, but they, they didn't do it often enough. And as you're saying, a lot of it came down to Sam Kerr, who of course got the four goals against Jamaica, but the likes of Caitlin Ford around there, they simply didn't help her enough. And 
don't think history we can have too many complaints exiting the tournament as early as they did. I did feel it was an entertaining game, though. We got 120 plus minutes of back and forward. Australia, like we've just said, probably quite upset that they, they didn't take one of their chances and not even let it go to extra time. But as an entertaining game, I thought it was definitely up there. We spoke about Netherlands Cameroon before, but I thought Norway Australia is definitely one that will get added to the list. A very enjoyable game uh, from my point of view. I really enjoyed it uh, last Saturday night there. Um, Norway, where they started very well, but I think they seemed to tire a bit in the second half which could really cost them against England uh, in the first quarter final, but Australia just couldn't really, just, they couldn't take the chances, couldn't force through to actually uh, win the game themselves. So, But there was chances of both teams, and on another day that could have easily been 3-3, 4-4 that game, if the two sides could actually manage to put the ball in the net. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there about the, the game coming up for them, for them getting through. We now know that they'll face England in the, the quarter-final. They're going to need to do just that a little bit more. They've, they've possibly been a bit lucky. They, they were unlucky against France, going 2-1 down. But obviously, when it comes to playing against England, they're going to just have to have that little bit more to try and, and get past them, aren't they? They are. I mean, England are. Another side that have only lost the one goal in the tournament, and they look, they have looked very uh, impressive going forward in a lot of games. And when you see the likes of Nikita Paris is another player that I really like to watch her coming down that right hand side against uh, is it Mindy? I think at left back for Norway, she's not quite as fast as Paris is. I mean, that could be a problem for Norway. They're, I think if they need, to, they're going to get anything from that game, they're probably going to have to score first because if England get the lead, I mean, you get an early goal even possibly, then it could be a long night for Norway. Sam Kerr is, is open to making a move to Europe in the future as well. So, I mean, looking back on the World Cup, she'll be disappointed. You've got the game where she scored the four goals in, in the last match day to, to really stamp her authority on the tournament. You thought she could maybe go on and do a bit more, but it's not to be. Does Sam Kerr need to move? Does she need to come over to Europe? She could join their namesake at Glasgow City if she wishes, I suppose. It would light up the Scottish leagues. Well, she's, she's doing it on a world stage. I mean... Clearly shows that she can put the ball in the net. Clearly shows that she's one of the world's best and one of Australia's best ever. So she can prove it there. It's up to herself. If she wants to come to Europe, then I'm sure there's plenty of teams that would be interested in taking her on. And she could really show there in the leagues where more folk perhaps are going to see them. I mean, the English Super League, of course, is really going up a lot. Obviously, you've got the Spanish, Italian leagues getting bigger crowds in as well. So, I mean, I think it should be a welcome addition. I don't think necessarily she needs to come here to prove herself, because if we say she's doing it in the World Cup, but it would be an interesting move for her if she does decide to come across to Europe. So Norway go through to the, the quarterfinals. They finished 1-1 with Australia after extra time and put away perfect penalties to win 4-1 in penalties and put Australia back on that long playing journey back home. But the drama didn't stop there. Following day on Sunday, we had England against Cameroon. Where do we start with this one, Campbell? Paris, was it a full elbow? Was it a red card for you? Yes, I think. I mean, Cameroon were, were very strong and probably overstrong in a lot of their challenges and things and she was clearly just showing Enikita Paris that this is going to happen and it was it was really stupid I think right from the lines movement as well it's, it's, it's got to be a red card but it didn't know the tactics obviously didn't work in the end when England run out pretty comfortable winners but Cameroon they were pretty much a disgrace to themselves and a lot of African nations but one of the presidents again was saying it's, it's a shame for the rest of the continent because it gives them all a bad name that really was only Cameroon yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't want to start with with the the ongoing scenes that are, are being discussed even now as we're moving into the the quarterfinals. But did you understand and feel any sympathy with Cameroon, or do you think straight up, no, that that's not acceptable on the football pitch and has to be stamped out? Don't see 
I didn't have any sympathy again. Obviously, we're talking earlier about VAR not being shown on the screens in the stadium, so the players can't see what's going on. But if they'd seen the replays back, they'll see that Ellen White is on side at the goal. They'll see that their goal that was disallowed was correctly disallowed. I mean, the decisions, yes, they went against them, but they weren't incorrect decisions. So I think it's, it's obviously it's hard for you when you're thinking, right, that's how back at 2 1, only to then realise you're suddenly it's 2 0 again. It's, it can be disheartening, but replays showed the decisions were correct so you just kind of have to get on with things. I would totally assume that before sides go into this World Cup or before they play a match you, you'll have your executives or your people in FIFA that come in and give you a brief on acceptable behaviour. I mean Phil Neville touched on something how the managers are told after a game to come on and say that was a good game and kind of, kind of talk the competition and, and women's football up but there was nothing else you could do there. I mean, everybody sees what's going on. You'd expect the behaviour to be a bit more fitting for the global stage. And considering so many people within women's football are fighting for different angles for each nation to try and boost the profile and get what they deserve, you can't have that happening on the world stage. No, I mean, refusing to play on after losing a goal and then having the other goal chopped off, as we say correctly, I mean, you, you can't. Some of the tackles flying in as well were then just ridiculous. They just seemed to lose their head. I mean, also the tackle probably touched on uh, late on there, and Steph Houghton was just a ridiculous challenge. I mean, see it back, it's, it's a red card, but they were just they were getting really nasty almost. Cameroon, it was you can't be doing that. I mean, if things aren't going your way, you can't just turn to hurting the opposition. And on the day, football and wise, they simply weren't good enough. They did have their chances, but couldn't take them. And that's just obviously it's really at them. And obviously ended up obviously lucky not to finish the game with ten players. Yeah, it all really started through Ellen White's goal, which was, again, just as, as she's done all tournament, fabulously taking goal, great composure. But I thought England were starting to maybe struggle a little bit before that, so that was a really important goal for them, just to give them that bit of breathing space going into halftime, because if they didn't get that, you know, those scenes might not happen. But if anything, like the beginning of the second half took place, that's a difficult one to try and control and get around when you're only 1-0 up. Oh yeah, I mean, as we say, Cameron had a couple of chances where England defensively were making sort of errors and things and giving them chances, but they couldn't, couldn't, you know, couldn't take them, sorry. And some better teams deeper into the tournament will cause England problems if they get those sort of chances, so they can't be giving them away. But as you say, scoring that goal right in half-time, it does make a huge difference as well. And when you go in 2-0 up, it's always a lot better in England then. They just were deservedly in front and stayed in front while well, trying to avoid getting booted off the park by Cameroon. Yeah, and shoot scores after half-time, a bit of a light-off for England because we see the goal chopped off for offside, then the confusion and controversy continues for Cameroon. A lot was said through the game about the referee not controlling things. There was an opportunity to give yellow cards out for time-wasting or or, or seemingly not restarting the game. Did the ref have to do better? I don't think so. I don't think she's done too much wrong. I mean, so you're giving players bookings for time waste and then you're going to be booking a heck of a lot of players when they're winning games. I mean, if it's real blatant, then I can understand. But I don't think England were overly wasting time like, too obviously. But I mean, Cameroon, as we say, it was, they, they caused their own problems and they made it easy for the referee to give them against their players and not for England. I think the only one she maybe could have changed was, of course, the red card at the end that she only gave a yellow. Well, that was just to save any further anger from the Cameroon players and management team obviously we don't know but I don't think the referee did too much wrong compared to some of the other officials in the tournament 
Yeah, I agree with that one at the end. That's a, a bit of game management and it was just a, an opportunity to try and cool things down, not cause too much controversy and, and get the game to full time. But the referee really shouldn't be having to do that. You know, there's a, the rules are there for a reason. We know that that's a red card challenge, a red card defence. So, well, you could see it as, you know, get applaud the referee for doing what she's done to, to kind of control the situation. It's a difficult position to be put in because still it's a red card defence. Yeah, I mean, shouldn't be having to have shouldn't be having to make any decision. Cameron players got no need to even go in there, even if just push over Horton. Uh, never mind, then kick her on the ankle. Shouldn't stand for on. It was just it was just disgusting tackle really. And the referee, I think, as we say, not scared, but is almost sort of hidden away from actually sending the player off there. When in reality, in any other time in the game, she probably would have. So that finished England 3, Cameroon 0. That was the, the early round of 16 game on Sunday. And moving on to Sunday night, we went on to the hosts, France against Brazil. So this was your pick for the, the games of the round of 16, Campbell. Did it live up to your expectations? Uh, I don't think it was a bad game to watch. I don't think it was the best of the round, as I'd hoped it may be at the start. But it wasn't a bad one. But both teams just seemed a bit slow to me. I mean... France obviously eventually got their goal in the second half through Valerie Govan, but Brazil then getting the goal back again quickly didn't help. France had the one disallowed in the first half. Uh, again, Govan were probably a bit harsh because I don't think the goalkeeper had full control of the ball. And that really, if that goes in, of course, it's a different game when France have the lead before half time. But going to extra time, I don't think it helped either side, really. It was it became it was very slow and lethargic, as we say. And then um, I think France probably just about deserved to edge it, but. It wasn't one that will live too long in the memory. The Valerie Govan goal, did you feel it was a goal or do you think it was fair that it was ruled out and the advantage went with the goalkeeper Barber for Brazil? I think it should have been given, to be honest. I mean, goalkeepers now just seem to get far too much protection from referees. Anytime a player goes near them, the referee's given a free kick. And when you see the ball, there's not a foul on it. Barber's not got full control of the ball either. And to me, I think Govan probably doesn't do anything wrong and it should really have been 1-0 France. So that's one that I think eventually the officials did get wrong. I think when you see games throughout the footballing world, a lot of people say goalkeepers get a bit too much protection. I think watching that VAR slow motion maybe looks a bit worse than it was, but in real time it didn't look like there was too much wrong with it for me as well. Obviously Govon and Barbara going to the ground, making it seem that there was a, a quite a heavy collision and there's an injury uh, would do a bit more for Barbara's case rather than Govon, but if you're anybody, France supporter, France manager, France player, you've got to go for that ball. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I don't think anyone, everyone's always got the right, sorry, to go into the challenge and go over. I don't even know if she got much on the ball, but she didn't really. So she did anything wrong in terms of fouling Barbara. So, I mean, it's harsh on her. And it's obviously took a wee bit of a bang herself, but it's, you have to go for these things, as you say. So, I mean, to me, it really should have been a goal. And France were unlucky. Obviously, did eventually get the goal through Govan anyway and then of course won it later on but it probably should have been ahead in that first round. Yeah so I mean Brazil do get the equaliser but this one goes to have a lengthy VAR check as well. I couldn't help but feel I mean I'm over in France at the moment trying to take up a bit of the atmosphere so I was watching it with, with a lot of French people at the time but it kind of felt like Brazil had an opportunity if that didn't go to VAR to have completely taken the sting out of the game in France's favour and could have aided them in going on to do a bit more as you said, it went on to extra time. But if that goal had just been a straight goal, celebration, Brazil restart with the momentum, I felt it took a little bit of a momentum out through the VAR check. 
think, yeah, I can see what you mean again. I think it's probably given France almost a bit of time to regroup because after the goal, they, they seem to stop for a bit. Brazil kind of came back into it, and obviously it was a high pace, uh, slow game, sorry. It wasn't the highest pace game, but with it being slow, it doesn't really suit France as much as it does. We've been at a bit of pace, so it seemed to me as if Brazil were almost happy for it, but it, it just seemed to, as you say, it just sort of it did slow them down. And France were able to regroup and then went on and obviously won it in extra time. There's help again that you've got a huge crowd behind you, compared to the obviously small contingent of Brazilian fans in the stadium. So Amandine Henri eventually in extra time get latches onto a cross to stick away the winner for France to send them through and keep the host's party continuing. But there's been much said about this potential quarterfinal with USA. We're now at a point where we know that that is going to happen. That's on Friday night. I felt France were a little bit flat going towards the end of the 90 minutes and an extra time against Brazil before they got the goal. They're going to have to step up another level for taking on the USA. France... Started the tournament obviously with that 4 0 win, and they really looked like a team that were going to cause everyone problems going into things. But against Norway, Norway really did cause them problems before France obviously edged through it. Against Nigeria, they had to get the retaken penalty. Again, they looked slow. Again, against Brazil, as we're seeing, they weren't their usual state. They're not getting worse, but they're not exactly setting the tournament alight, which is going to be a worry for them coming up against the US. We obviously put 13, as we say, past Thailand at the start. But they are, again, they don't look. They're going to be in too much trouble in games, the US. This is their first major test as well, so it will be interesting to see how the two teams cope. But I think that the US will probably just sneak it, but it's it's not going to be easy for either side. So before we move on to the USA's round of 16 game against Spain, I just wanted to touch on Marta's interview after the, the France-Brazil game. Obviously, she's very emotional that she's going home and her World Cup journey's come to an end at the moment, she possibly might not make the next one because she's 33 at the moment. Um, as much as she'll want to keep playing on, on the biggest stage, that might be difficult for her. But she did say there's not going to be a Cristiani forever. There's not going to be a Marta for Miga forever. She's just given a rallying call to any girls and women that are involved in the game at the moment to keep going through the pain, keep going through the tears and to keep progressing the sport. And I can't imagine anybody that follows women's football watched that interview and didn't have a little bit of a, a lump in their throat or tear in the eye. It was a, a pretty inspirational moment. Yes, I mean, there's a, you've seen a lot of teams retweeting it and things, and just sort of a lot of players as well seem to be taking heart from it. I mean, obviously, in the men's game, you can see there's always players coming through, maybe in the 21s, Euros as well, seeing a lot of countries that have got good young talent. Whereas at the women's level, there's a lot more girls now in the game. Obviously, here in Scotland, and there will be in other countries across the world, but things at like the World Cup always help to sort of promote the game and I think Marta's words as you say will make a big difference um, to players not only in Brazil but across the rest of South America and the world and it's just also going to be good and you just hope that players will listen to it and more girls will continue playing the game and not think anything of it about you know it's a man's sport it's a boys thing but it's, it's not it's, it's open for everyone emotional stuff from Marta as Brazil's World Cup journey ends. It was also unfortunately the end for Spain, who've been a little bit of a surprise package in the World Cup so far. They were up against the USA round the 16. I know that you, yourself and Chris, who's not on the episode tonight as well, Campbell, um, but in past episodes has spoke very highly of Spain and the future and potential that women's football has in Spain with Real Madrid announcing uh, a team for the coming season. But they've, they've put up a good showing at this World Cup and were really unfortunate. They started really well against the USA on Monday. They did. I mean, obviously, they lost the goal fairly early on, as we said, from 
penalty that probably was a penalty, but they got one back again. They didn't phone as a lot of teams might have done against the US. Yes, it was an error from Germany, but Junior Mosso and players were involved there. They were there to take that chance. And then on, I mean, obviously the US were creating slightly more, but Spain weren't exactly just sitting there letting the US attack them. They were creating chances themselves. And then, I mean, I think it's really, really harsh, the penalty that was given against them for uh, Megan Rapinoe to get a second goal. It's been I mean, a strange team. I mean, against South Africa, also the first game, again, they were slow. Against Germany, they started well and then just kind of faded out of the game, losing that goal that they did. It was a bit of a mess. And against China, we were thinking, oh, the US will beat them comfortably. But Spain really did put up a good fight against America and, as we say, very unlucky uh, not to take that game extra time. Yeah, a bad start for Spain. You don't want to hand USA a penalty at the very beginning. Uh, it's in around the 16 match. You're, you're going to be up against it from there. But clinical work from Spain, capitalising on the mistake at the back. Hermoso gets a chance, and as clinical as you like, as we, we've already seen from her, she's been a bit a, a big player this tournament and one to watch. If you didn't know the name Jenny Hermoso before the World Cup, you've certainly known about it over the four games that Spain have played. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, she's. Atletico Madrid's main player uh, in the Liga Ibadrola in Spain and then of course she's been Spain's main player throughout this tournament as you say she's been scoring goals I think she's on four now for the tournament maybe three but she was um, again she played really well took the chance very well fantastic finish on her weaker foot as well sticking the ball in the top corner she's been very she's on the ball she is the main player for Spain and she's been very influential and she'll be one of these players that you just kind of feel for that they're in not a, an inferior team but slightly lesser than the likes of the US you did mention earlier about the, the second goal for USA, the penalty decision. It went to VAR again, a few different replays because, in my opinion, it looked like a different challenge from the different angles. For me, if, if, if I was a fan of Spain and or I was a Spain supporter, Spanish, and watching that game, I'd be quite aggrieved that that was given against us. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'd seen it, I saw it at the time and thought it went down pretty easily. No one complained. There was no claims from any of the US players. And then the referee gave a penalty and you saw the Spanish players' reaction. They went really, they, well, they knew there wasn't really much in it. If there is any contact, it's very, very minimal. I mean, I struggled really to see it. And I think Rose Lavelle managed to stay on her feet for a bit. I think she sort of realised the ball was kind of out of her reach before she sort of kind of throws herself on the floor. I thought it was really, really harsh against Spain. I don't think it was a penalty. I personally wouldn't have given it. But the referees obviously went to Van and decided it was. But it's... The USA are obviously a team that usually score goals, so for Spain to restrict them to two goals coming from penalties, that's very good from them from that point of view, but it's, it will really, really feel hard done by once they see the two decisions that went against them. So Spain won USA 2, just before that we touched on France 2, Brazil 1, after extra time. USA conceding that goal to Spain and Jenny Hermoso means that Germany are the only team left that haven't conceded at the tournament. And later on, on Monday, Sweden came up against Canada. We touched on last episode about Canada, early relying a little bit too much on Christine Sinclair. I put my neck out a little bit and said I thought there was a bit more quality around Christine Sinclair for Canada than possibly other teams that have that one predominant player have. I was proven wrong, Campbell. Sweden won, Canada nil. Was the result a surprise? I wouldn't say it was. I mean, having watched both teams throughout the group stage, I thought Sweden were not better. But they looked like they had a bit of an idea of what they were doing. There was more of a team feel to them, whereas we're seeing Canada was pretty much just Christine Sinclair. But it wasn't it was not a great a great game to watch. You hear John Driscoll on the commentary as well on the BBC Red Button for that game. And there was very little happened. I mean Sweden eventually obviously getting their goal from Stina Blackstein. It's, it's a fantastic goal, fantastic well worked, a great finish. But Sweden probably edged it on the night, but I can't see them getting past um 
Germany in the quarterfinals on Sunday because neither side in this game, on Saturday, sorry, neither side in this game was particularly great. What went wrong for Canada? Because I think, I know myself, I expected a little bit more from them this tournament than I than I got to see. I defended them last week, but even though they were getting through games, it was just by a single goal most of the time. You know, it wasn't as if they were going on, throwing a lot of flair onto the pitch and and tearing teams apart or, or coming out with dominant scorelines. Where did, where did things go wrong for them this time round? I think it is just over-reliance on Christine Sinclair. I mean, they've obviously got players around her that can cause problems and on their day would do now and then, but they just... It was always it was always trying to get the ball up to Sinclair to hold up to do something with it, and you can't rely on the one player. And then you're up against the likes of Holland, who are, they've got that really frightening front three, really, when you look at it. They were always going to cause some problems in the group stage against Sweden as well. Sweden have got a lot of players that have played well in the tournament, and going forward again, they've got more options, which Canada just seemed... Very one-dimensional. I don't think really have any complaints either. The fact they've left the tournament as early as they have done. So Sweden won Canada nil. That was Monday. On to Tuesday, Italy two, China nil. The Italian job continues. I wasn't too impressed with China Campbell, but I didn't know if that was just because Italy done so well against them on on Tuesday. Well, again, Italy started that game really well. Had the goal disallowed before Aegis and they put them ahead, and that was only the first quarter of an hour. So again, losing an early goal never ever helps you. China in the games where they have played well, they've they kept Germany goalless for ages and they were getting chances on the break. They obviously drew with Spain. Whereas playing against sides like Italy, sorry, who are on the front foot constantly like they have been throughout the tournament, it really is tough when you lose a goal as early as they did. They obviously kinda contained them slightly more for the rest of the first half before uh, Galley got the second goal. But Italy been a really impressive side to watch as well. So far in this tournament, a bit of a surprise package you could see and they really just stopped China from doing anything. Obviously, the early goal makes a big difference, but Italy were impressive on Tuesday afternoon there. And obviously, they've got another exciting game to look forward to against Holland in the quarterfinals. You mentioned the first goal there, but definitely the pick for me was that second goal from Galli, who at the beginning we were talking about Barbara Bonasea looked like she might be a bit of a Jenny Hermoso kind of player for Italy, but the players around Bonasea have definitely stepped up. She didn't get on the score sheet in the round of 16, but it just shows with, with Galli they're getting that second goal. There is a lot more support around her and Italy are more of a team rather than looking at teams like Canada, like we've mentioned, like Australia, where there's that one figure up top that everybody's looking at. Definitely. I mean, uh, like you said, talking about Spain, they obviously Hermoso was the sort of main player. The likes of Lucia Garcia and other players like that around didn't help Spain as much as we know. Some of them can do, having watched them before. Whereas if I talk about Italy, Bonacci obviously got two goals in their opening game and was their main player throughout the sort of early parts of the group stage but it was Galli I think got the hat-trick didn't she against um, Jamaica and then yeah. Giacinti another player here getting involved there was a lot of them as you're saying they're spreading it around the team and they were all good going forward you need that team mentality when you're playing in tournaments like this where there's so many games coming uh, quick and fast and I think Italy really were deserved winners and it wouldn't surprise me to see them knock out the Dutch as well China put up a good fight against Germany and Spain. Both teams found it tough to score against them. Germany did get a goal in Spain, you could argue, with it being the final group stage game. Maybe didn't have to go 100% into that because the point was enough for both teams to get them through. But that's a bit of a statement for Italy to come through that. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, as we say, China only has lost one goal in the whole group stage. It's only lost one goal in the whole tournament, which is obviously very good for a side that are not one of the bigger names in the world when it comes to it. But... Again, it's just it's when you lose a goal, when you go behind a team like Italy, I would say, who are constantly attacking, they've got that threat up front. 
the boy I say, uh, Adria St. Galli plays like that, it's always going to be tough. I think, as you say, they, were, they almost looked a bit tired, having defended so well in previous games. But Italy were deserved of going through here in China. China can be proud, however, though, of their the performances in the tournament. I mean, the Italian head coach, uh, Bertolini, said that her players are on a mission to help the country discover and appreciate the women's game. Back in March, you had Juventus setting a new attendance record for a, a women's club match in Italy with the 39,000 people watching them. Juventus beat Fiorentina 1-0. It's been a good year so far for Italian women's football. You've got that happening in March with the attendance. Italy are in a quarter-final with the, the Women's World Cup. And as you're saying, they could go on and, and do something against the Netherlands. It's definitely a, a game that Netherlands won't be taking lightly because they've seen what Italy can do. So all positives for Italy at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if they don't get through on Saturday or even further into the tournament, once they, if they get through that round, it's another one they can look at, hopefully building on in a few years. I mean, it's just seen... The club football is, of course, making a big difference now across Italy. It's growing all the time. Um, our own Lana Clare, of course, that Fiorentina, you know, she played in that game you're talking about. And she notices the difference as well. As she says in interviews, actually playing out in Italy. And it seems to be improving, obviously. I mean, the men's side, they've got a rich history of uh, international football. So you would hope that that can continue as well, the women and the girls' side of things. And Italy will look at it and think, We've got nothing to lose on Saturday. Let's just go and play the way we have been doing. They've been a joy to watch. I mean, a breath of fresh air for the tournament and the fact that they have just went out and tried to play football in every game they've played. Moving on to the final round of 16 game, Netherlands 2, Japan 1. So it's the Netherlands that we were just speaking about there for Italy. I'm going to start at the end with this one, Campbell. Japan sucker punch right at the end. Martin scores the 90th minute penalty. The new handball rule, which obviously Scotland know about and we've spoke about before in this podcast, I know you're a stickler for the rules, as you mentioned last week. Was that a penalty for you? Um, going by the rules, yes. But it's certainly a lot harsher than some of the other ones you've seen. They're saying it's it's behind their back slightly. It's not quite, as you see, a lot of players will kind of hold their two hands together behind their back, but it really isn't. It, it is out slightly. She's trying to pull it away. But I guess if we're going to have to stick with the rules, the, the arm was out. Holland obviously got through it, but Japan feel that really they probably deserve to at least get extra time in that game what can the Japan defender do though because at the point she doesn't know the shot's really coming her first instinct's to go and do something about it to prevent the danger to get rid of the ball she's standing there but the shot happens from I don't even know the distance but right in front of her what what, what can the Japan defender do I think she's actually trying to get her arm out of the way so you've got a bit of sympathy for her and it's not as if she's intentionally moved it to block the thing, sorry, but it's it's in it's making her body bigger, as they're saying it in the rules. And obviously it, it hits it. So I mean the referees just having to do what they've been told to do. But if you mean obviously if you're Japanese, you're really you're looking at that and thinking that's it's extremely harsh. But again, it's one of these things they're just gonna have to sort of go on with. I mean, Japan, as I've said themselves, their main focus wasn't the World Cup. It's for the Olympics in Tokyo next year. But I mean on another day that doesn't happen, they get a goal in extra time and suddenly it could be them playing Italy on Saturday. A lot's been said about them focusing on the Olympics in 2020 and trying to gel a team together. Obviously, we saw them come up against Scotland and take the points on that occasion, but were you impressed from what you've seen from Japan in this World Cup, considering they were previous winners? In certain games, yes. I mean, their first game against Argentina, it was tough just trying to break through the Argentines, but they never really created enough to look like really couldn't. We were talking at the time saying Scotland will feel that they could easily get something against them. Scotland then decided to just sit back, give them a couple of stupid goals, as we says, and Japan, they were better than they had been in the opening game, but they still weren't great. 
obviously missed him against England. We've been at the Scotland game myself. But the other night, I was really impressed with him against the Dutch because the Dutch obviously got their early goal, but they just really seemed very, 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 very lethargic. Sorry. And Japan obviously got their goal back themselves. And as we see, it's probably as a penalty going with the rules. It would be a bit harsh, as we see, if you're Japanese. But they looked a lot more impressive. And I think they would have been good to watch them if they'd even got through, as we see, if Italy in the next round. But unfortunately for them, they are out and it's all Europe by the Americans. I got to see the Japan goal after uh, after the match. I mean, didn't get to see it at the time, but it was a brilliant move, a brilliant team goal. And for them to go out, at least they're going out in a little bit of a high because that goal has obviously got a bit of praise that it deserves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a fantastic goal as we saw from Masagawa and Japan. They were very unlucky. I mean, if it went extra time, the way the game was going, I think they probably would have been the tide to go on and get the win. But obviously, just just unlucky that the ball's come crashing off the defender's arm and Holland get the penalty to send them through. So that was the, the round of 16 at the FIFA Women's World Cup for 2019 in France. We have quarter-finalists Norway against England is the first one, which is on Thursday night. Then on Friday, we have France, the host, up against the USA, which is certainly one to look forward to. On Saturday, Italy come up against Netherlands in the early kickoff. Germany take on Sweden later on. And we have a two-day break before we will look to go ahead with the semi-finals on Tuesday the 2nd of July. Going through those quarter-finals, Campbell, what one sticks out? France-USA is obviously the game going by the rankings it stands out to us, but Italy and Holland, I think, the game where both teams like to play attacking football. We're talking about the uh, the Italians who like Sabon and Sierra, Galli, the Dutch, one of the best front threes at the tournament, with Van de Sand and uh, Miedema and Martin. So if all of them can perform to the highest of their abilities at the top level that we know they can it could be a fascinating game eh, going forward and thinking it goes with that one certainly the other two England I think should be comfortable enough against Norway Germany another side that probably should be beating Sweden Four fantastic quarterfinals to look forward to we're at the business end of the Women's World Cup in France now Friday night the hosts against the USA will be a big one to watch but keep an eye on the England game that Italy-Netherlands game Campbell's talking about as well and Germany-Sweden we might have another shock in store before the semi-finals thanks to Campbell for joining me again on this episode thanks a lot we will be back again at the start of next week to review the quarterfinals and the semi-finals as the Women's World Cup comes to a close. Thanks for listening. You are listening to the Anyone's Game podcast. For advertising inquiries, email agpodcast at yahoo.com.